All right. Turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And Galatians chapter 4. Read our passage in Galatians 4 where we've been. And then back to Romans 6 where we've been using Romans to expound on why Paul's emphatic plea to the Galatians to not look to the law to be justified, to not look to the law to be sanctified, to not look to the law for righteousness, whether to get saved or to stay saved, to stay in right fellowship with the Lord. We want to know why is it that Paul was so emphatic about that, and that's because the law was never intended to do such. It was given to expose our sin. It was given to manifest the inability of man so that the elect of God would see that, feel that, remorse and and, and be grieved in that, sorrow in that, but yet they might find their hope in Christ alone uh, as their salvation. And so... um, we will uh, continue to look at what Paul, by the Holy Spirit, taught in Romans. Uh, let's look in Galatians chapter 4, though. That's where we was. Uh, and we start with uh, verse 8. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. So we see that the Galatians, listening to these Judaizers uh, who was coming back and saying that you had to keep the law of Moses uh, to be saved, that you had to keep the law of Moses to... uh, 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 get saved and to remain saved, uh, these Galatians were bewitched. We've seen that in uh, um, verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul said you're bewitched. Uh, you, Someone's hypnotized you. Someone has uh, spoke things to you in your ear that's, that's, uh, that's making you want to be drawn away towards it. Uh, that's what these Judaizers were doing. And brethren... Take caution because this kind of preaching and teaching is everywhere. I mean, even among Baptist churches, even among Sovereign Grace churches, this teaching of having to keep the law and that we're still in all of them. As a matter of fact, just this week I had a lady on Facebook, she called me a heretic because I uh, preach what I'm preaching. She called me a heretic because, and this is her exact words, was because I do not believe that the law is the Christian's rule of life. And um, here in Galatians, Paul clearly speaks to that, that uh, anybody who is uh, desires to be under the law is under a curse. Uh, we've seen that in our earlier passages. I think that was back in chapter 3, 2, 3. Uh, was it 3, 6? No, it wasn't. Anyway, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but we've seen where Paul has said that anybody who desires to live under the law must keep every bit of the law and that uh, whoever lives under that law is under a curse. And uh, so I just tried to politely tell the lady, I, I said, you know, you might 
call me or think that I'm a heretic, but if you desire to live under the law as your rule of faith, God says that you're under a curse. Uh, you're under a curse. There, you can't get out of it. You, you're, I mean, if you want to live by the law, you are beholden to keep every bit of the law and never break it ever. And the sad part is, is whenever you come to the realization that you want to keep the whole law of God, you've already broken it before you've ever got there. <laughs> before you ever come to the place where you say, you know what, the Bible says that we shouldn't break the law of God, so from now on, I'm not going to break the law of God, even though we can't do that, by the way. But even if we say to ourselves and, and you know, delude ourselves uh, in this thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to keep the law of God from here on out, you've already broken it. See, we don't just decide. That's why, that's why the Bible says, can a leopard change its spots? You know, can the Ethiopian change the color of their skin? No. Man, I'm pasty white. I can't change the color. I can't decide, hey, I'm going to be tan. I'm going to be brown. I'm going to be yellow. I'm going to be red. I, I haven't, I can't change the color of my skin just by saying that. Okay? And that's, that illustration is given not to be, uh, funny. Uh, or anything, uh, you know, you know, can the Ethiopian change its spots? No, he can't. Number one, he don't understand. That's who he is. Why would he even want to change his spots? See, the natural man doesn't think there's anything wrong with him. Why do they even want to change? They think that they're right before God by just doing good things and, and living a good life, living a moral life. So they don't even see a problem with having spots or not having spots. They don't have any, any qualms with that. But the illustration is given to show us the uh, total inability that we have to change ourselves. We can't decide from one day to, from being a bad tree to being a good tree. Nobody can do that. You cannot change that. Only God can, can make us one thing or another. We either have it or we don't have it. If we have it, we have it not because of anything that we've done. We have it because God has made us that way. And how did he make us? Now, remember, <clears throat> I wish I had my whiteboard here because I could show it a lot better by drawing it out. Remember, our flesh profits nothing. Our flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So it isn't our flesh who we are in our old man, but it is who we are in our spirit. It's our spirit that was united with Christ before the foundation of the world. When God gave the elect to Christ, it was the spirits of his elect that were united to him. We were in him, just like back in, as we read back in Adam, uh, and a matter of fact, turn back there. I was going to do this last week, but I, I didn't really go there. But turn back to Genesis chapter 3, or excuse me, Genesis uh, chapter uh, uh, 1. <clears throat> look with me at verse 26. See, we understand this because of our union with Christ Jesus. Why are we in this state that we are in? It's because we, the old man, our old self, our carnal man, that has been crucified with Christ. And we're going to be reading that here in just a little bit. But it has been crucified. We are to count ourselves dead. Don't think about our sin. Don't don't dwell upon your sin because, listen, uh, uh, Pastor Roy Smith, a uh, good friend of ours, uh, said this, and, and I heard about it by way of my other friend, J.C. Fulton. But he said, you know, someone asked him one time, 
he said, you know, uh, uh, that he was worried about his sin. You know, this guy was worried about his sin. And Brother Royce told him, he said, well, don't be worried about your sin because God's not worried about it. God doesn't worry about your sin. All the elect child, children of grace, all their sin has been taken care of by Jesus Christ. God doesn't worry about that stuff. He doesn't look at that and, and, and fret about how much sin that you're doing. Oh, no, you're sinning more and more and more. He doesn't fret about that. He ha- does, Now, does he hate it? Absolutely. Does he have wrath on sin? Absolutely. But listen, he doesn't have the wrath on us. He had the wrath upon his son. Jesus Christ took the wrath of God. All the hatred that God had for sin of everything that we have ever done as his people... God took that wrath and poured it out upon Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ suffered every bit of wrath of God for sin for every one of the elect children of grace. And that's the sin that we collect, that we uh, that we do in the flesh. Every bit of sin that we do in the flesh, Jesus died for, and God's wrath was fully satisfied. Every bit of it was poured out. We, we often say Jesus drank the cup dry. There wasn't a drop left in that cup of wrath. Okay? So there's no more wrath. That's why we don't have wrath. We were not appointed under wrath. Why? Because Jesus promised to take every bit of the wrath that was to be poured out upon us, and he took it upon himself. So he became sin for us and took the wrath of God for us so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. See, it's because of our union with Christ the outward flesh, the, the, the Adamic man that we are is full of sin. It can't do nothing but sin. But our spirit, that is perfect. It is, it is the life of Christ. We, those spirits come from heaven. They were born from heaven. Whenever you're, uh, whenever you're born from above, that spirit that was united with Christ in Christ Jesus, the Bible says that our life was hid in Christ, or hid with God in Christ Jesus. Before the foundation of the world, it was there. Whenever a child of grace is born from above, that life then comes and enters in, as the Bible says, in in this earthen vessel. We have a treasure in earthen vessels. That spirit is inside of us, and that's the spirit of Christ, who is our life. Our life is Christ's life. And so our spirits, that spirit that is in us, who we are as the elect children of God is not who we are in the flesh. Because one of these days, this flesh will go away. This sinful tent is going to go away and a new body that God has prepared for each one of his elect children that has no sin will be united with that spirit that has no sin. And in that, then we will not have any sin in the flesh or in the spirit. Right now, we have no sin in our spirit. The Bible tells us that we have no sin in our spirit. We keep the law of God in the spirit, but we can't keep it in the flesh. But see, there's a picture of that here in Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 26. It said, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, haven't we turned that around today in our society? That just a side note, we let everything in creation dictate to the humans who we are. <laughs> you know, don't 
Don't drink milk because that's offensive to the cows. You know, don't eat beef because that's offensive to the cows. You know, everybody has to be offend, offended. But see, God has placed man over the creation. To use the creation for our good, for our desires. Okay? Verse 27. End of my rant there. <coughs> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Now listen. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and the sea. Now remember, God created Adam first, right? It was first Adam, all by himself. And Adam, here we see, whenever he God created man in his image, he created him, you see that? He created him, Adam, male and female. Now, don't get some twisted idea, because I'm sure some people will take that and twist the idea if they haven't already taken this passage of Scripture and tried to twist it to their uh, uh, carnal thinking, the way things are today. But he said, he made them male and female, created he them. So whenever he created man and Adam, he created him as a man in union with someone else. We'll see that here. Look at verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and to every uh, beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, uh, let me read to you now. Chapter 2. And let's go to uh, verse 18. It said, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. I will make him an help meet for him. Uh, I'm going to pause again. I told you my mind was going in a thousand directions today, so it's probably going to come out in the preaching. I was actually looking at this phrase this week. And I don't know, I, I don't know about you guys how, how it is in the, uh, uh, Spanish Bible, but how it is here in the King James, I will make him an help meet for him. I've grown up and we've called our wives help meets. We call them a help meet. Okay? And then somewhere along the way, we've kind of morphed that into a help mate. Oh, they must have been saying a help mate. Uh, that the wives are the help mate to the husband and everything. If you remember in Hebrew and in Greek, there are no punctuations. There's no commas. There's no none of this, okay? He's saying here, I will make him a help. Meet for him. That word, that word meet there, uh, whenever you see that in, uh, verse uh, 18, that word meet there means before him. I will make him a helper before him. I'll make somebody to be a help that is suitable for him. That's what that means. The wife is not a help meet. <laughs> We've smashed those words together. There's a pause there. I will make him a help meet for him. Meaning meet, M-E-E-T, meaning suitable for him. So God has brought into union the husband and the wife, and the wife is a 
uh, as a helper suitable for her husband, to come alongside her husband and to help the husband in the duties of the family and everything. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of odd as I was reading that, especially whenever I was looking at the Hebrew and everything. There's there's a pause there. There's there, It's not a help meet. It's not all one word. It's He's made him a help meet for him or suitable for him. Okay, it kind of changes things up just a, just a little bit uh, in how you look at things. More than anything, it makes you don't look so dumb when you call somebody to help me. All right, verse eighteen. And the Lord God said, "It is not good that the man should uh, be alone. I will make him a help meet for him." And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Now, uh, we also find, if we go back to... Um, um, let's see, I think it was back in... In chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5, look with me if you would, verse 1. <clears throat> so we've seen that God made Adam, created Adam, but he created Adam, male and female, but yet there was only Adam, right? Then he created Eve. He brought Eve out of Adam, okay? And then in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man, the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them. So whenever he created the one, inside the one he created the both. Does that make sense to you? I know that was not very good grammar, but I, I had to use that to convey what I'm trying to say. He made one thing, one likeness, one image, but yet in that was also all the other images that would ever come from him. Okay? Specifically, his wife, his bride. He said, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. Now the word Adam just basically means man. In the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son, And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were uh, 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. All the days that Adam lived, they were 930 years. Now, we see that later everybody began to be made in the image of Adam. Okay? But if you'll notice, he called their name Adam. He called their name Adam. 
Adam and Eve, he called them Adam. And I know in the Hebrew that that is man. He called them man, like mankind. Okay, this is mankind. But we see here a picture. We see a picture of Jesus Christ, and in his likeness were made. And his elect are brought out from him. They are in him before they're ever known or ever seen or ever manifested. They were in him. But they came out at a specific time when God appointed them. But before they ever came out, God blessed them. See, if you'll look, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. Eve was blessed when she was still in Adam before she was ever manifested as Eve. The blessing that God gave to the head was a blessing that was also upon the wife. Christ is our husband. We are his bride. Now we're talking about the spiritual men, the spiritual women, right? We're not talking about the flesh because the flesh is a child of Adam. We were made in the likeness of Adam. What was made in the likeness of Christ? Our spirit is made in the likeness of Christ. It's perfect. It's holy. It's righteous. It's his life. But it was hid with Christ, uh, hid, uh, hid in Christ with God. Just like Eve was hid in Adam, but yet was blessed. Now what does Ephesians tell us? Ephesians 1. It said, we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places according as, as God has chosen us in Christ. We were blessed with all spiritual blessings when we were in Christ before we ever was manifested now. See, we call that, the theological term we call that is eternal vital union. Eternal vital union. Some people just say vital union because they don't believe it was eternal. They believe that the, that the, that the union came whenever we believed. Some people just call it eternal unity. Because they don't believe that it actually happened in eternity past. They just believe it was purposed by God. But yet it happens in time. But yet we believe all three. It's an eternal union. It was a vital, it was a living union. We really existed as those spirits. We don't recollect that. We don't have any knowledge of that. All we know is the Bible says that our life, it was a life. And we know from Revelation that there were names that were written in a book before the foundation of the world. Those spirits had names. And that was hid in Christ Jesus. Just like Eve was. But at a certain point in time when God determined, he brought Eve out of Adam. And he said, this is now, and what did Adam say? This is now flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And they became one flesh. That's why Paul uses the marriage in the New Testament as a picture of the relationship between Christ and his people. We read it last week, remember? Uh, we seen in, and that's why I wanted to go there, but I wanted you to see that he called their name Adam. Every one of us, doesn't the Bible say that we are called, that we are called the Lord our righteousness? We are called the Lord our righteousness. We're not righteous and we're not the Lord. But that's what we're called. Why? Because we are in union with Him. But see, remember we, we read last week back in Romans again. Romans chapter 7. Mm -hmm. 
it's still in my Bible, I'm sure. Romans chapter 7. We looked at verse 2. It says, For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, or in light of what is being said, in light of this principle that we know by the law, what do we understand? Ye also are become dead to the law. See, we've been married to the law all this time. You are become dead to the law by your law. I mentioned it last week. Are we dead to the law by our law keeping? We've died to the law because we've kept it. No. We are dead to the law by the body of Christ. See, because Christ died for us, we are dead to that law. That law died, and we died to it. There is no longer a union between us and the law. There is no longer a communion between us and the law. That union that we had with the law died when Christ died. Why? Because he nailed all the ordinances to his cross. Although he nailed those ordinances and all of our uh, iniquities that has broken those ordinances, that was nailed to the cross, and he died for those things. And then that law now is dead to us because the purpose for which the law was given was to expose our sin, to show us our inability, and then to lead us or to show us that we have a need for Christ. The gospel then comes in and sings the blessed hope in Christ Jesus. So what does it say there? <clears throat> we are dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So see, as long as we try to keep the law... That's why I was saying to this lady, if you want to live under the law as your rule of faith, all you're going to do is bring forth fruit of death. Under death. You're cursed. You can't bring forth fruit. You can't bring forth... Remember whenever Jesus cursed the, the, the tree and it withered up and died? It couldn't bring forth any fruit. Why? Because it was cursed. Same picture with us, brethren. If we live by the law, all we are is cursed because we never can bring forth fruit. Our flesh cannot produce anything fruitful unto God. The Spirit who is in us, who works in us, who grants us repentance and faith and love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness, temperance and faith, all those fruits of the Spirit, that's the works that we are ordained to do in the Spirit. And God brings those forth by His Spirit. We don't work at that. We don't muster all that up. It says, but now we are delivered from the law. See, brethren, don't feel, don't feel like I'm, I'm cheating on God if, I, if I'm not keeping the law. Actually, if you're keeping the law, you're cheating on Christ, according to this passage here. Remember, 
a woman who is still married to a man, but yet goes to another man and is married to him, is called an adulteress. That's cheating on her husband. We, if we are the children of Christ, have been married to Christ. And if we go back to the law, we are cheating on our husband, who is Christ. And that's why I said the same thing for churches. If these, if there are churches out there who are preaching the law and are preaching false gospels of conditions, that is not the gospel. That is not preaching Christ. They're preaching another gospel. Therefore, they are cheating on Christ if they are Christ. They're cheating on Christ. That's another gospel. That's why I say whenever we go places like on vacation or out of town for some reason on a Sunday or anything like that, we don't go to church just to go to church. We don't just go to any church we can find. We don't just find a Baptist church and go to it. Because we find, we try to find, if there's any available, we try to find a church that preaches the true gospel, who is preaching Christ, who is preaching gospel of free grace. Because if we go somewhere else, we're cheating on our, on Christ by going back to the law that says do this your, condi- the, your righteousness is conditioned upon that or this that you do. So that's why we seen last week, and, and uh, long introduction, but last week that we are dead to the law. Uh, we are dead to the law because we are married to Christ. And going back to the law is to cheat on your husband. Now, today let's look at Romans chapter 6 and in verse 2 we see... Almost the same language. And I think there's a connection here. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 2, we'll start in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, that was said in in light of what he said in verse verse 5, that the law came in so that the offense might abound. Adam's offense in particular. The law was given so that it might expose sin. We already looked at that, right? But he says, if that's the case, shall we just continue to sin so that grace might keep going more and more and more? He said, no, that's not what I was talking about. The law came in to expose your sin, not to give you more grace, because grace never comes by the law. Grace comes by Christ. Grace comes by the Spirit of God. So, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, you've got it all wrong. That wasn't what I was saying. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? See, we can't live in sin because we're dead to the law. What is what is sin? It's transgression of the law. Right? Well, we can't transgress the law. Wait a minute, you're telling me that you that we don't sin? No, I didn't say that. There's a difference, right? In the mind of God, in the in the eyes of God, we cannot transgress the law because every transgression that we've already done has already been paid for. Everything that we've done sinful has already been paid for, has been justified by Christ, and has been removed, forgiven. We've been forgiven of every sin. So God does not look at his children in that sin. So we don't live to the law, and we don't live to sin. We have died to the law, therefore we have died to sin. We are dead to sin. 
And so that we cannot live in it anymore. Does that mean that we don't sin? No, it just means that now that we have died to the law and that we have Christ in us, the Spirit of God in us, that now sin doesn't have dominion over you. It isn't just everything that you do is sin because now we have a principle of life in us, our life that's in this flesh that does nothing but sin is perfect and holy and the Bible says is created in righteousness. I know that's confusing. It's hard to kind of keep straight. But remember, we're two men in one body. We are the old man. We are the new man. Not two natures. One nature. One nature. But we have now Christ living in us. Our Adamic man, he can't do anything but sin. But Christ in us cannot sin. Therefore, we don't live to sin anymore. We have that restraining power of Christ in us that, that keeps us a lot of times from the sin that we would probably do without that. Look at verse 7. It says almost the same thing. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin. Now that doesn't mean that we are actually without sin. It says reckon yourself. What does the word reckon mean? Sometimes we kind of go over these words and we think we know what they mean, but do we know what they mean? The word reckon is counted as so. Think about it that way. Think about it this way. Whenever I say reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, that means consider yourself to be dead to sin. Look on yourself as dead to sin. Think about yourself as being dead to sin. That's what reckon means. Count it. Count yourself. If I reckon... Uh, you know, uh, uh, if I reckon myself to be, um, you know, uh, I don't know a good example, so I ain't even going to try. Uh, the word reckon, though, means to count yourself as sin, uh, dead to sin. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I guess the best way to sum this uh, part up is, brethren, whenever we go through our lives, don't dwell upon your sin. Don't let sin have its mastery over you. And definitely don't think by keeping the law, it's going to get rid of that sin. Because it's only going to multiply it. Okay? The law that we have been given to believe, the commands that we are been given to keep, are the commands and the law of the New Testament, of the New Covenant, which is to, what? To believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to love God, and to love the brethren. The only way that we can love God and love the brethren is if God sheds that love abroad in our heart. So that's not anything that we can do. I can't buy that. I can't go over to Kevin's house and borrow some of it. I can't muster it up. I can't get online and mine it on the computer. 
I can't do anything to, to get that. God has to divinely and sovereignly give me that love. And when he gives me that love, that love is not me doing the love because my flesh can't love. My flesh only loves in a fleshly way, in a carnal way. I love you if you love me. I love you as long as you're agreeing with me. I love you as long as you're good to me. Right? That's how our flesh does. So we have absolutely zero ability to love God and to love our brethren in the flesh. But in the spirit, we love God and we love our brethren. And then we're told to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To look to him for our righteousness. See, that's what Abraham did. Whenever Jesus told Abraham that his righteousness wasn't by his obeying those idols. It wasn't him coming out of Ur and following him. It wasn't all of that. It was him believing that Jesus was his righteousness. Oh, okay, I don't have a righteousness of my own. So I'll look and I'll believe that Jesus is my righteousness. And if he's my righteousness, then he's promised that he will keep me. He will never forsake me. And that one of these days that he is coming back to take me away to be with him. See, we have, that's why we say we have a hope in Christ. Our hope of salvation isn't in our law keeping. Our hope is in Christ Jesus and what he has already done. So that's why it says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members excuse me, uh, as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves unto God. And this is how we ought to reckon ourselves. Reckon ourselves that way. But look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law. I don't know how many times I've said a lot now over the last several weeks. We're not under the law. And people like this lady that attacked me on Facebook this week, who, who, who says, you know, hey, we're judging by the law. Well, if we're judging by the law, then no flesh shall be justified in God's sight. Because the law condemns every one of us. We were condemned in Adam. In Adam, there was condemnation, and that condemnation, uh, that that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, guilt before God was there. We, we were doomed from the very beginning because we are the flesh of Adam. We're doomed. So brethren, we are to count ourselves not under the law, but under grace. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves to obey, ye servants, his servants ye are to obey? See, if we think that we're servants to the law, then we're going to be obeying sin. We're going to be serving sin. But if we are looking to grace, we're looking to obey Christ, obey grace, then we'll be servants to Christ. Now, think of that. We will be servants to Christ by what? By obeying grace. Now, remember what Paul said. And I know a lot of my preaching takes time to develop. It's long and things like that. Over long periods of time, weeks upon weeks. But we're building. The Bible says that we are to teach this thing line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. To get up here and just take a block of, of, of passage and just say this, I'm going to preach on this right here today, it is, is almost impossible. 
because it entails a lot of what is being said in other places in the scripture to get the, uh, the doctrine and to understand it rightly. We need to know what the whole Bible says because the Bible is the one that interprets itself. But a lot of preachers, they want to try to condense everything down to some little ABC and one, two, three. It's hard to do. But if you'll remember, go back with me, think, but go to, turn back to Galatians. And look with me in chapter 1. Paul started off this letter to the Galatians in this very way. He says in verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. See, if we are to serve the gospel, if we are to obey the gospel, and I mentioned this way back here. Obeying the gospel is believing upon Christ. That's what it means to obey the gospel. It doesn't, obeying the gospel isn't repenting and believing. Obeying the gospel is looking upon Christ alone for salvation. He says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So in essence, what Paul is saying is the grace of Christ is the gospel. And if you are believing or walking in a way that is not in the grace of Christ, but is in another God or in another way, like under the law, that's another gospel. He says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. That would pervert the preaching of grace alone. See, there are people that want to pervert the preaching of grace alone. You mean we just like, Trust Christ and do nothing. We don't have to work for a righteousness. We don't have to keep the law. We don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. We don't have to keep all this. You see their mindset? That right there, automatically, whenever I hear people talking about that, I, I automatically know they've not, they've not been taught. They've not been taught the gospel. The Holy Spirit has not yet conveyed to them the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of the gospel will bring us to rest in Christ. See, we go from Canaan, or we go from, we go from Egypt into Canaan. But yet there's some time that we, that they, we have to wander around in the wilderness, right? The Israelites didn't go straight from Egypt into Canaan. They came out and there was some doubt there. God said, hey, I've given you this. Go in and take it. And they're like, whoa, I don't think so. There's giants in there. How about we just uh, kind of take this a little bit at a different approach at that. So what did God do? God caused them to wander in the wilderness. And so for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. And what did it do? It weeded out the ones who believed and the ones who didn't believe. Brethren, in church, in believers, in non-believers, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats. Listen. For the elect of God, you've been given Canaan. You've been given a place of rest. It's in Christ. And to be brought out of Egypt, our sin, our Adamic person, and to be brought into the rest that is in Christ, that is a promise that God has made. But sometimes we, because of our ignorance, because of our doubt, because of the place where Christ has us, he causes us to wander a little bit, and we know that that's ours, but we just don't know quite how to get there yet. Then all of a sudden, one day, God 
dings you in the head and gives you the understanding. Wait a minute. It isn't about me trying to keep the law. It's, it's about just trusting Christ who already did keep the law for me. And that's the point where you enter into his rest. But So remember, this is kind of what Paul, the image that Paul's pulling up. He said, those who would pervert the gospel of Christ, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So that's why I don't go to other churches that don't preach this gospel. Is because that gospel is accursed. The preacher that's preaching that, look here, he's not a preacher of the gospel. And look at verse 9, matter of fact, he says, As we said before, so say we now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. For now, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. See, those men that preach those other gospels, they're preaching something to tickle your ear. And Paul even told us, those Judaizers coming in and bewitching you, they're coming down so that they might fill up in their flesh your obedience. See, whenever they preach to you the law and you obey it, that shines back glory on them for making you better. See, they were preaching that gospel because it made them good. And listen, that's the same way of preaching. I felt I was the same way. I was a preacher of that. I used to preach adherence to the law, adherence to the law, adherence to the law. And I would, I mean, I would preach hard sermons to people to make them feel guilty and to make them feel remorseful and to make them feel sorrowful and everything like that to get as many down to the altar as I could so that they would get right with God. But see, that was filling up my flesh. See, that was filling up my pride that I could boast. And you see people about it all the time. I see people on Facebook all the time in these Armenian churches boasting upon how many people they've led to the Lord. How, how their ministry has led thousands to the Lord. That they've had so many people come to Christ because of their ministry. <clears throat> it's boasting in the flesh. But what does Paul say here? He says, if they preach another gospel, they're not the servant of Christ. And isn't that what we just read back here? Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness? See, if we are a servant unto Christ, we're going to be serving grace, not the law. They're, they're opposite. They don't work tandem and hand in hand. They're opposite of each other, brethren. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart. You see where we obeyed? We didn't obey in the outward man, outside in the flesh. What did we obey? We obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. See, that's how we obey Christ, is in the inner man. And that's exactly what Paul goes on to say in the next chapter there in Romans in chapter 7, whenever he says, <clears throat> I find then, verse 21, I find then that a law, uh, find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inner man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God. See, we still can serve the law of God, but it's not in a fleshly outward way. 
We serve it in the Spirit by serving Christ's law, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, finisher of our faith. He says, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The law of sin is the law that we're talking about here. The law that brings forth cursedness. The law that brings forth sin. The law that was meant to expose and to manifest our sinfulness. That's the law that we serve in the flesh. But in the spirit we serve the law of God, which is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are not under law, but under grace. We are dead to the law. We are dead to sin. We're to count ourselves or reckon ourselves dead to sin. And we are set free from the law. That was that was there in uh, 6.22. I think I skipped over that. But 6.22, um, he says, uh, but now being made free from sin and becoming uh, and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting. See, our fruit unto holiness is not an outward moral turnaround. Our fruit unto holiness is in the inner man serving the law of Christ, which is look unto Him, trust Him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they said if those men who in Acts, who after the preaching of the gospel was receiving the gospel, believing the gospel, they were already born again or they wouldn't have received the gospel. You can't receive the spiritual teaching of the gospel without spiritual life, right? So those men who were saved, that 2,000 that was saved that day on the day of Pentecost, they were already born again in the multitude of people that were being preached to. I don't know how many was there, but we know that 2,000 of them, the Lord had already had already given them repentance and faith. And they said, you know, what, what must we do? And they said, what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt, past tense, be saved. If you're believing on Jesus alone for salvation and not looking to the law, that's a good sign that you are the elect of God. Because only the elect of God can look to Christ alone for salvation. Our self-righteousness in the Adamic man is always going to be trying to take that over. And so we see that is true in the in the child of grace. We look to him. So we're set free from the law. Um, and it's no longer our master. It's no longer uh, having dominion over us. And uh, any any act of trying to go back under the law for getting right with God. I, we used to say we used to say this a lot uh, as I grew up and everything. And man, I got we just need to get right with God. You know, they're living in sin. They just need to get right with God. Well, how do you get right with God? By law keeping. Well, if you go back under the law, you're you're cursed. Okay, because you can't keep it. What is getting right with God? Get back to quit looking at your sin. And look to Christ alone for your salvation. All right, we'll stop right there, brother, and uh, we'll pick up. Still back in Romans again next week, I think. But uh, uh, there's a couple more things I want to look at there, and then we'll move on out of Romans to some other stuff. <clears throat> any questions or comments or any confusion that I might be able to clear up? It's a it's a beautiful gospel. It's uh, it's not a popular gospel with the with the uh, with the uh, people that's out there that are not the children of God, but to the children of grace, this is blessed truth, brother. 
Um, so uh, I hope it is to you as well. Again, I apologize for some of my scatteredness this morning. Um, sometimes I'm like that. A lot of times I'm like that. I guess my wife probably say. But anyway, it's good to be with you guys. All right. If anybody, nobody has anything or comments that you'd like to make or anything, scriptures? Anybody have a song if you want to sing now? You're welcome to do that as well. All right. Let's go to the Lord prayer. Father, we thank you today and we are so grateful for Christ. We're thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for freedom from sin, freedom from the law. Father, we thank you for the Spirit of God in us that continues to point us and to direct us, to keep us in Christ Jesus. Father, we just are grateful for the Word of God that reveals these things to us. And Father, Lord, we just ask that you might be with us as we leave this place this week, that you might uh, guide us and direct us, or that you might give us safety in our endeavors that you have us uh, appointed for us this week. Uh, Lord, we pray that you might uh, give us opportunity to bear testimony of Jesus Christ to those that we are around. Lord, we pray for any of your sheep that are out there still wandering uh, with no place to come and to fellowship. Lord, we pray that you'd bring them across our path, uh, bring them to us or bring us to them that we might uh, uh, enjoy fellowship with them as well, Father. I just thank you so much for all that you do for us, the way you take care of us and provide each and every need that we might have. Father, we just are so grateful for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus for forgiveness of sin, and for removal of wrath, for uh, love that cannot be broken, that is uh, an everlasting love, a justification that was by blood, uh, sanctification of the Spirit by your Word. And Lord, we just thank you so much that you have given this salvation to us. Lord, we know that we are of the same lump of Adam and that we do not deserve these blessings of grace given to us. Father, and I pray that we might keep that in our mind, that you might help us to be humble before other men whenever conveying these truths and not be haughty or puffed up with pride because of the grace of God that's been given to us. It's easy for, for men to think that in their mind that you have been a respecter of persons and given grace to some and not others and that that's not fair. But Father, they've not been taught to trust you for who you are, that you are sovereign and you are the creator, you are the potter, and that you can make the pot uh, any way that you desire, but the clay is yours and you can mold it and make it into whatever vessel you desire it to be. And that that, uh, and at that, Lord, we cannot, we cannot uh, accuse you, we cannot uh, judge you, uh, we cannot even question you for why you did it. So, Father, may you help us understand those things. Lord, I pray for these brethren, and I pray that today that the Word of God, uh, as it was being preached, Lord, was uh, edifying to them. Lord, I pray that you would keep me from error, and, Lord, that you would teach me and continue to help me to be able to preach the Word to these brethren. And, uh, Lord, I thank you again for all that you have done for us here 
And uh, we just are so grateful. We praise you in your name. It's praised in Christ's name that we pray. Uh, amen.